This is Back from the Brink, the after show for KCA Radio's On the Brink. Aaron will be joining us shortly. I hope that this Friday finds you well and not too depressed about politics and COVID and lockdown and working from home and whatever else could be depressing you. Just hang in there. Just hang in there. Enjoy this time. Enjoy your family. It's time for the weekend. So, um... Justice Alito has said Thursday night that he was worried about the future of religious liberty in the United States, expressing particular concern when it applies to COVID restrictions and the Supreme Court's decision of 2015 clearing the way for same-sex marriages. He says, it pains me to say this, but in certain quarters, religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right. The remarks are an enlargement on themes about what he's been writing about recently came as he was addressing the conservative Federalist Society of Yazoom for its annual conference. The speech was particularly notable because it comes at a fraught time on the heels of the very divisive election when Chief Justice John Roberts has sought to keep the court out of the political fray. Alito instead took on the restrictions of in-person worship services during the pandemic, an issue that is currently before the court. Uh, as well as the uh, Obergefell versus Hodges, the opinion that cleared the way for same-sex marriage nationwide. He also returned to the issue of the Second Amendment and touched on the possibility that Democrats may seek to restructure the size of the court. In addressing COVID-19, Alito pointedly noted that he was not trying to diminish the severity of the pandemic, which he said has taken a heavy human toll, leaving thousands dead, many more hospitalized but that he wanted to emphasize its impact on the rule of law and individual rights as officials have moved to combat the virus. We've never before seen restrictions as severe, extensive, or prolonged, he said, and added that the pandemic has resulted in previously unimaginable restrictions on individual liberties. Alito said that the COVID crisis has served as a sort of constitutional stress test, that he highlighted disturbing trends that were present before the virus appeared. He pointed to emergency orders over the summer where the court sided with officials who sought to restrict the number of people who could worship in a person, uh, worship in person, and lambasted his colleagues for ruling in favor of the state and local officials, even when he thought the churches were being treated differently from other entities that had fewer restrictions. Earlier Thursday, the court received yet another emergency petition on the issue, this time from the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn, seeking relief from an executive order from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat. Alito also reiterated what he had written in 2015 when he dissented from the court's decision to clear the way for same-sex marriage nationwide. I could see, he said, where the decision would lead, uh, would lead for those who cling to traditional values. Or con- I could see, he said, the decision, where the decision would lead for those who cling to traditional values on marriage. Aaron's joining us. Hola. ¿Dónde está? <laughs> um, I was just talking... Oh, I, I, I'm trying to pretend like I'm bilingual, uh, which I'm not. Um, because I said one phrase that was not even relative to the conversation. The um, I've been talking about <laughs> the fact that uh, Judge Justice Alito has been uh, speaking out publicly about... Um, 
uh, his concerns over the court and the effect of the rule of law that some of the decisions revolving around COVID have uh, created in terms of uh, impinging on people's uh, yeah. liberties and and the way that the court has sided with the state about uh, disallowing some, some uh, churches to worship and yet allowing other businesses are allowing businesses that gather similarly to remain open. Yes. And so um, he has some real issues with that. He also, and I hadn't gotten into the details of why, but he has also said, I'll just quote what he said here. He says, I could see where the, where the same sex marriage decision would lead for those who cling to traditional values on marriage. Now he didn't, uh, uh, he says he reiterated that opponents of the ruling would risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, and schools. Uh, that's just what has come to pass, he said. One of the great challenges for the Supreme Court going forward would be to protect freedom of speech. Uh, so he feels like that, that, that by allowing same-sex marriages, he has set other people up to be, you know, if you disagree with that, that you will now be ostracized and, and attacked, which right. you have which been. Which is exactly what's happening. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and so all the, the, the former and I forgot his name, former CEO of Mozilla um, that uh, donated to the Yes on AIDS campaign, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And mm-hmm. he, he, I mean, he wasn't he didn't mistreat anyone. He didn't he didn't do anything except donate to that campaign. And he got himself fired or he was the mom right. who had him fired because he didn't think the right. Yeah. Thing. And that scares me. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It doesn't matter if I agree with his political stance or not. I don't want people ostracized because they think the wrong way. Right. Yeah. If you have, you know, you 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 have, uh, uh, you know, the, there are rights in this country uh, to, you know, and and although it is, see, it's 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 this is this is where it gets, I guess, scary, is that you know, if you take a stand on something there's nothing there you don't have rights specifically to be protected for for taking a stand on you have rights uh for speech they can't restrict your speech but but you know in a commercial setting can somebody hold you accountable for something if they disagree with you and they have the power to hire or fire you they do yeah so so Um, you know it's a sad thing that was probably a poor example um, uh, AOC, the dingbat among dingbats. Yeah. Anyway, AOC came out and said that that we that basically that they're going to do a purge of people who believe. And I'm 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 uh, paraphrasing, but she said that she wants you know we she needs we need to go back through the old tweets of people who supported Donald Trump and hold them accountable for their actions. For supporting yeah. the president, you have to be accountable. Because you gave to a campaign, you have to be accountable, and that is a member of Congress yeah, be- acting that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, exactly. It's it's like we're going to be the thought police and come back after you. Yes. Uh, for political decisions. And and that's, yeah, that's that sounds very third world country. Yes, it does. That sounds. Yeah sounds like uh you know central american dictatorship type of behavior yes and um we shouldn't tolerate it 
as a country, and you would hope that, that there will be pushback on that. I can't see Joe Biden allowing that to happen, but what scares me a little bit is, again, his age and frailty uh, and the fact that I don't think that his vice president, Kamala Harris, has a backbone in terms of taking positions. She's a finger-in-the-wind kind of politician. And so if people in her ear are saying, we need to do this, that's the way she's going to perceive the wind to be blowing politically, and she's yeah. going to go do it. And and I think that you know she, she could very easily, if she became president, be... Uh, directed to do things, you know, and, and whether you like him or not, one thing you got to say about Donald Trump is there wasn't a whole lot of people directing him, <laughs> you no, know, no, no, but nobody said, Donald, you need to go do this without Donald going, screw that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm the boss. you may not like what he did. You may not like what he does, but he knows who's in charge. <laughs> Maybe Kamala, because I don't trust her farther than I can spit. But the last time we really had a dip your finger in the, you know, like lift your finger up to see the way the wind's blowing uh, was Bill Clinton. And and he yeah. did adjust. He did adapt um, to what he the did. majority of Americans wanted to see or do. Right. I think, you know, when you've got a president who kind of thinks and does that way, instead of having an ideological basis for decision making, it's really... That and again, I can't think of a better way to phrase it other than just sort of which way are the political winds blowing, finger in the wind kind of person. It all depends on depends on who you listen to for that that information about how the wind is blowing, right? Right. And so, uh, you know, if you've got a a good source for what's actually happening in the world uh, and and how the majority of the country feels about stuff, then then that can kind of work for you. But if you, uh, ooh, that was loud. Yes, that was somebody um, who needs a muffler on his car. <laughs> yeah, or some, or some guy who just likes the sound of the engine, so he takes oh, a, no, no, a, I, a a Honda and makes tries to make it sound sporty. That's precisely. <laughs> that is precisely what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not talking. Can't afford a Ferrari, so we take the muffler off the Honda because then it sounds cooler. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know. Uh, th- we just have to be concerned about who's got her ear, right? If that yes. if that comes to pass, well, which uh, which honestly, that's Clinton. probably the truth of every president to some extent, right? Yes, but Bill Clinton you relied know? on polls, and we we've talked about how people are lying to pollsters. <laughs> how horrendously bad the polls have been. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading an article that uh, said you know, as bad as the polls have been, that they've actually only been good for about the last 20 years. And that, you know, so as adults, most of us think polls are supposed to be good. But if you look back before that, most generations didn't. And, and they've been polling since the the first election. Um, that, that they've been so notoriously bad historically that us, you know, expecting them to be good is probably on us more than it is the pollsters. That they've just kind of, you know, we got science and we figured out how to make better statistical polls, but then, you know, people start gaming the system. Right. Like, remember that year on um, uh, American Idol when they got that uh, one guy who couldn't sing at all and they got him into the top 10 because, um, uh, oh, uh, what's the, the, 
oh shoot, I'm blanking on the big New York DJ, what's his name, with the curly hair that uh, he's now on satellite radio only. Howard Stern. Howard Stern, who has millions of listeners, this is even before he went to satellite radio, basically uh, for several weeks kept telling everybody to keep voting for this guy. And so all of his fans would vote and vote multiple times. and, And they got this guy who was just terrible, couldn't sing, but they kept voting him up. And he made it into the top ten, and and, and he was, he, I mean, just, just laughably bad. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I, you know, people learn to game the system, right? It's like, and that's that's exactly what what happens now with pollsters. Yes, well, and, it, and the yeah, I wish I could remember that guy's only name. As reliable as the people who are in the poll, and um, you know, and if and if if the people who are answering your polls are messing with you, well. Your poll's not going to be reliable. <laughs> so, you're still there? I'm here. Yeah, I was oh, just okay. seeing if I could find the um, the the name of that uh, that uh, sing that contestant. I'm not even going to call him a singer. Uh, <laughs> uh, was he the one who did the she bang, she bang, the Asian guy? Yeah. That yeah. Was, that was. Um, Yes, he, he sang that, that Ricky Martin song, and he, he, he was terrible. But people... Yeah, he was him. awful. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, he had a Korean name, It was terrible. Right. It was... Yeah, uh, there's... Okay, there's voting controversy. There's actually a wiki page for voting controversies. Oh. Uh, let's see. Who is it? Season four... Voided... Okay, so season six, uh, an attempt to influence the outcome on Idol led most notably by Howard Stern and a vote for the worst plan. Stern encouraged listeners to vote for Sanjay Malakar, uh, who had become a phenomenon in season six, uh, uh, to take delight in ruining Idol. Yeah. Sanjay Melikar, a singer finalist on season six, uh, gained national attention, placing seventh in public votes despite being poorly received by the show's judges, particularly Simon Cowell. <laughs> Melikar made the TV guest appearances, has been calmly parodied, parodied in public culture. Uh, Poor he guy. placed fifth in the second season of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. <laughs> He's now 31 years old <laughs> and lives in Seattle. Get me yeah. out of here. That was a show? Yeah. Yeah, apparently it was. And they got to season two because he was on the second season of oh it. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. He he originally sang Sign, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. And then he sang Some Kind of Wonderful. Ain't No Mountain High Enough. You Really Got Me. Uh, Sanjay Malachi. No Doubt's Bathwater. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I remember this because uh, Jennifer Lopez was a judge at the time. I remember her saying, I like this kid. I love Sanjay. And it's because he went out and smiled and had a good time. He had a great personality. I think he didn't have any illusions about being a great singer. But he was just going to, you know. He had a quality. Go with it. Yeah. You know, it's just, hey, you know, if they keep voting me on, I'm just going to roll with this as long as I can and have fun. And uh, you can't... uh, you can't beat that. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. 
Santa's just making me giggle. Yeah, you want to know why polls don't work? You want to know why polls don't work? This is why polls don't work, because yeah, Americans have a sense true. of humor. Yeah. Americans yeah. like to laugh, that's why. Well, and I, I actually, that show, it, it really bothers me. It bothers me for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, I don't like that they're expected. I know that they want a really versatile singer, but the reality is is that most people who are in the music industry have a certain kind of, of sound that they do, and they do it well. I mean, like, you're not going to yeah. see Steven Tyler singing songs by Nora Jones. I mean, you're, they're just, it wouldn't right. work. You know, and so um, yeah, they're forcing people to sing lots of different genres that have nothing to do with what their style is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so you know, you may get somebody who you know has this powerful like Janis Joplin like presence, and you're going to have her sing some R and B bluesy song. Uh, well, I guess that's not a good. She, mm-hmm. cause she did R and B. You're going to have her sing, you know, Michael Bublé. That's not going to work. You know, or even Britney yeah. Spears. It's not going to work. So, you know, yeah, well, and that's why people like Daughtry and stuff, you know, they end up having a reasonably good career after the fact, but right. uh, they don't win there because, because you know, he's he, he's a rocker and, and him singing something like a Michael, Michael Buble song just makes no sense at all. No, I do. I did like yeah. him uh, in particular when he, um, uh, they, they had a Stevie Wonder day and Stevie Wonder is, is, is the master. He is the he is such a phenomenal uh, artist and musician. And so what did he do? He did a, a rock and roll version of, um, what song was it? Um, Higher Ground. Um, that, uh-huh. that was just, so um, uh, Daughtry did, a, you know, while everybody else was trying to sound like Steve, uh, Stevie, he found, uh, he found another version and did a rock and roll version of Higher right. Ground. It sounded amazing. Yeah, and that's and I think maybe that's what they need to do, and maybe that's what they're they're looking for. Although I don't think Daughtry ended up winning his season, did he? he was like second or third. Yes, um, I don't remember. Yes, but, but that's um, actually better because uh, he's not you know, in for ten years. Right, you know that's the other thing that bothers me is that, you know these people are fighting to get this stupid recording contract, and if you win, you get basically a crappy recording contract that that ties you down as a slave to the to the uh, to the company. Uh, for you know x number of years and no opportunity to do any better when although you know that's such a crapshoot too i mean there's so many incredibly talented people out there who have just beautiful voices that that never are going to have a recording contract you know because you know they don't have quite the right look or they you know they don't wear the right kind of clothes or or they're you know a few years too old i mean famously people you know for a long time if you were over the age of you know you, you had to be uh at least 16 and you couldn't be over uh, you know, twenty five, or they wouldn't even look at you. Yeah, it's 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 interesting you because know? I had people ask me um, because at the time I was singing in bands, like, why don't you try out for Idol? I was too old. I was thirty. You know. Yeah. And and um, like I can't, which is ridiculous. Yeah, they're ageists, and I'm not allowed to because somehow when you turn, you know, twenty nine or twenty five in a day, you're suddenly obviously over the hill. You know, and again, it's their show. It's their game. It's basically a game show, and so, um, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, they can make their own rules, but uh, it doesn't mean we should support it or watch it. I mean, I haven't watched that show in ages, and don't have any interest in watching it. I don't watch a lot of those kinds of shows, though. Um, I did find one that I liked. Um, uh, it's called Songland, and it's songwriters. 
and they come on and and dem- they come on and they they sing their song. They usually have four people, and they'll have like three uh, people who are songwriters and producers there that, that are the regulars, and then they'll bring in somebody um, to uh, to listen to it, who's going to then record the song. And uh, I mean, they've had country singers. They had Florida Georgia Line on. They've had uh, uh, you know gospel and hip-hop type singers and pop singers and i mean they've just had a whole range of people on the show and um uh what they do is they they uh listen to all four of them and then they pick three one to work with each of the three producers there and then they excuse me with the producers try to rework the song to make it more appropriate for that particular artist and then the artist then picks picks one to record and uh only once on one episode um, when um, uh, uh, Will I Am from uh, Black oh, I guess it was the whole Black Eyed Peas were there um, but they um, uh, listened to all of them and the guy they let go at, right off the front they said that song's amazing but that song sounds amazing for you we're going to help you record it oh, that's beautiful. then the remaining three they picked one as the winner and then they said but we want to record the other two as well, and we've got a brand new album. We're getting ready to release, and those three songs are all better than the song than than the songs we have on the album right now that we've already recorded. So they recorded all three songs and produced the song for the other guy. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not fair. Nobody wins, or I guess I guess that is fair. Everybody, Everybody wins. wins, you know. <laughs> it was, yeah, and that's happened one time. Everybody else picks one, and then they record the song, and they've got it set up so they do it far enough in advance that then you can immediately go to uh, iTunes or Spotify and download the song that the artist recorded. I will say it's interesting. There have actually been times when I thought that the song the person came in with was a better song than the one that they ended up with after they like played around with it with the producers. Yeah. You know, they do a lot of studio stuff, and sometimes they take a song that I thought was a really nice song and turn it into something that I don't personally care for. But I will say these producers all have an amazingly good ear for what's top forty. Yeah, well, and that's my only drawback is it's every everything they do gets top forty eyesed. And when I say top forty, top forty for whatever their genre chart is, you know. So I mean, it's top forty country, top forty pop, top forty whatever. Yeah, well, if you've seen the movie A Star Is Born, the most recent one. You know, where you have this beautiful song in um, Shallow, when the way that they sing it just with the guitars, and then they, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you see that, you hear that style, and then Lady Gaga's character goes to the studio, and they she makes this god-awful pop crap, and, um, you know, that's, yeah. that's what the music industry does. Well, they know what, what, they, what they can market and what they can sell, but it may not be what the right. audience likes, and what's, and, and honestly, what's actually good, because the the yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's why very often, you know, their 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 first album isn't always, you know, they may get lucky and get a hit off of, but sometimes it's their second or third album when they've got a little bit of um, sway, and they say, well, you know, now I've I've got some star power, I can go in and say I want to do this, you know. Yeah. And that's why a lot of artists do that, or you'll see there's, you know, they're they're. Not so much their sophomore album, but very often their third album really reflects more of something they're interested in doing. Right. Um, you know, and and you'll see them kind of explore other areas. You know, I mean, we point to Lady Gaga. Uh, you know, she went off and did a duets with Tony Bennett, and you know, and just said, "I'm going to do some other stuff," uh, just because I'm, you know, I'm not only interested in pop. 
You know, interesting aside, I uh, on the extras for that movie, uh, there was an interview with her, and she said that in writing some of those songs, um, she, when she wrote the pop songs for her character, she she very intentionally tried to write a pop song that sounded like a current pop song that could be credible but, and, and, and sellable, but not be a Lady Gaga song. She said it had to be a song that would have been written for that character. And she says that was the hard part, was getting into the head of that character and writing as somebody else, you know. I bet. And, and so she very very intentionally tried to make sure that it sounded like a, a, a pop song that was something that you could hear on the radio but didn't sound like Lady Gaga because that's not who she was in that movie. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting that she was thinking that far into it. Um, I mean, we've talked about it before. She is... Um, uh, unlike a lot of pop singers, she has a lot of, of classical training and is very, very uh, well-versed in just the structure and the, the creation of music. Um, and so, uh, you know, she has that background to do that kind of thing. So, so. Anywho, yeah, Songland, an American songwriting competition. I always thought that the people who did um, uh, any of those singing shows like uh, American Idol should have done a thing where you had songwriters uh, working in the, you know, like do, uh, do a summer version on songwriters and, a, and, and the, the people who were the top ten on American Idol would come in and sing the songs and have writers write different songs and, and do the same kind of thing and have them, you know, battle over the course of a season to see who's the, the top son, songwriter. Because you're probably going to find that there's going to be a lot of songwriters that you could, that would get, you know, sell songs yeah. off of that anyway. Uh, that's cool that's a good idea have them s- contract them and you can kind of combine the two so oh I didn't realize this Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics is the guy who conceived of the Songland show oh so he was the creator of the of the show which doesn't surprise me because he's a well known songwriter and and producer you know works in the studio a lot um by the way, the people that are the, the three people that are there, uh, Grammy nominated Grammy nominated producer and songwriter Esther Dean. I don't know if you're familiar with her. No. But uh, 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 One Republic's Ryan Tedder, who's also a songwriter and producer and works with other people, but he's the lead singer of One Republic. And then Grammy's winning songwriter Shane McAnally, who is uh, he does more country type stuff. Uh, Cool. So he's he's recorded some on his own, but uh, but has sold a lot of songs for other people, and and both of them have worked with a lot of, uh, or I say both of them, all three of them have worked with other people. Um, so, oh, apparently Esther Dean was also in the movie Pitch Perfect, so she had an acting deb- debut. Yeah. She played Cynthia Rose Adams, cool. and she reprised that for the sequels. But she's worked with Katy Perry and Rihanna and Mary J. Blige, and uh, and so she's uh, you know that's the world that she revolves in, in far, as far as her writing. Um, and then um, uh, Shane McAnally's worked with Florida Georgia Line and Reba McIntyre and Casey Musgraves, and so he's deep into Kelly Clarkson, Sam Hunt. I mean, he's into that genre it's interesting that they got people who come from sort of different areas you know because each of them sort of has their own strengths but then when you're working with whoever whichever person comes in and sells the song you've got to work with what style they've got um you know uh and ryan tedder apparently uh um he also got 
he was a producer on Adele's 21 and 25, as well as, as, well as Taylor Swift's 1989. So in addition to uh, working with his own uh, band, One Republic, he's worked with them as well as Adele, Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, Jennifer Lopez, Paul McCartney. He's, he's probably the most, <laughs> uh, yeah, just looking at the list of people, he's got the most uh, illustrious career of the three. And he's a youngin from from forty one year old youngin from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Cool. So yeah, some of the uh, best parts of that show, by the way, when somebody sings a song and then they all start like noodling around on ideas and they'll grab a guitar and start doing it right there live with the person. Can you imagine as a young songwriter coming in and having somebody of this this level no. say, "Hey, that's cool. Have you tried doing this?" You know, and then they'll play around with it, and it's like, "Wow." That is pretty cool. So anyway, let's move on to something other than Songland. <laughs> so, um, and, and forgive me, there's today's trash day. I'm in my car, and there was a, a garbage trash that just went by. So um, Didn't even hear it. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. So I, uh, that's good. All right. So uh, yeah. Hawaiian Airlines is going to be sending um, at-home COVID tests to their customers before they fly. Ah, <laughs> So cool. So a free COVID-19 test may not seem like the most enticing reward for frequent flyers, but showing a negative test is the only way visitors to Hawaii can skip the mandatory 14-day quarantine. So um, they want to open up Hawaii, but they're going to be careful about it. So Hawaiian Airlines says that for a limited time, members of its reward program can redeem air miles for at-home COVID tests that normally cost 150 bucks. And so for 14,000 mm-hmm. miles, Hawaiian Miles members can have a test shipped to them. And the airline says that a Vault Health testing supervisor will instruct customers via a video call on collecting the saliva mm-hmm. sample, which will then be shipped to the lab. And oh, interesting. Saliva sample instead of a stick up your nose? Yeah, apparently. And so they say that the lab will provide results within 24 hours of having received the sample. So, um, and they can then... Uh, they can skip that 14-day quarantine, which means people can start going to Hawaii. Yeah. Well, and you know what? It's because it's, you know, unlike other, like the states in the lower 48 and Alaska, people can't come driving in from, you know, back roads all over the place. They, they, they can, everybody coming in is either coming on a ship or on a, on a airplane, right? Yeah, exactly. And so uh, they can, they can uh, sort of do the pre-quarantine. I mean, that'd be cool to have a whole flight come in and say, hey, these guys are already pre-tested and safe. Isn't that clever? Uh, and that I mean, way I they would can do kind that of start. If I, to, I mean, it's to take, take yeah. Anywhere. I mean, this not even doesn't even have to be Hawaii, but anywhere. And I want to make sure mm-hmm. that everybody's safe and feel confident that everybody is safe. Then yeah, I'll take a test. No problem. Yeah, been been there, done that. Um, so yeah, it just seems like the right thing to do. Um, you know, and and to uh, offer that and and do it in in conjunction with the state so that you don't have to do the the lockdown period. Yes. Uh, that's extra cool, you know. Well, so much um, of course, economy is based on travel. You know, it's tourism. Yeah. And and I'm sure this has been devastating for them. Yeah. Now I wonder. You have to turn in your your things and you're tested negative on the way there. But everybody on the airplane didn't necessarily do that, which means that you could be on the airplane with somebody who's infected and get it while you're on your way there. Yeah, but if you're wearing an N95 mask like you and Tobin did when you right recently, then you're probably good. Yeah, use hand sanitizer. Yeah, well, and that's part of the 
part of the reason we did it. And my, you know, you're allowed to bring three ounces of a liquid. My three ounces were hand sanitizer. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I, that's exactly what I brought. I got some N95 masks. And so we were, we were masked up and, and sanitized and ready to roll and, uh, survived it well. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, but I, I like that idea. Excuse me. If you're coming into a state that, um, that's having that kind of lockdown to allow you to actually go there and, and enjoy. That also means that the state can then start opening up and allowing, um, you know, some of their, their, um, uh, tourist things to open back up because that's their number one source of income. Yes. Not everybody goes to Hawaii and gets their toes done, you know, or gets a, a pedicure like, like we did. <laughs> We just found a random nail studio and said, hey, you guys want to get a pedicure? Yeah. That was so funny. It was fun, uh, too. So, it was. It was. They were really fun and entertaining people there. It was nice, and I and it felt really good. I had a great pedicure, great foot massage. So um, there's another COVID story, though, that is, that is kind of troubling. Um, Elon Musk is saying, you know, something fishy is going on with these COVID tests. Um, he says he tested both negative and positive. So yeah, well, and the people who do the test will tell you that that a there's several different versions of the tests and they vary in their accuracy. And even the most accurate ones will have some occasional false positives and false negatives. And that percentage is relatively high. I mean, uh, it's you know when I say relatively, I mean single digits. But but even then, that's you know that's much higher than you would trust with like. You know, if you wouldn't take a vaccine if they said there was an eight percent chance it would kill you, but you'll take a test that that they would say there's eight percent eight percent chance that it might be wrong. Well, because the in, the stakes in, aren't as high. In Elon Musk's case, he took four tests. Um, uh-huh. uh, two were negative, two were positive, um, and this, it was on the same machine, same test, same nurse, same day. Rapid antigen test uh-huh. from uh, Becton. Becton Dickinson, BD. Um, uh, okay. And and he says that people should get PCR tests, which are considered more accurate and involve a nasal or throat swab from two separate uh, oh, in two separate labs will get the result results in twenty four hours. So, you know, now yeah. people from that's how I did it. I got the nasal swab. So the one he was doing is the one that was the spit test, like the one that the airlines is going to do that we just found out is no good. Yeah, I, yes, uh, yes, uh, evidently. Although no, I mean the the one the nasal swab one, you can get the results back in twenty four hours. The the um, the rapid test, you get the you get the test back like within an hour. Yes, hour or two or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and 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 as I said, we know that different tests have different amounts of reliability. And I mean, if you really wanted to do it, you would test you know, two or three different ways and see which one, see if they all agree or don't, uh, what the majority of them say, right? If you get, you know, three or four different tests, cause there's three or four different versions of the tests out there, but most of them are nasal swab tests as I understand it. Right. I, I in fact, you're talking about the, the saliva test. That's the first time I've heard that there was a saliva test for COVID as well. Yes. And the one that, ones that you and I both did were nasal swab. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so comfortable too. Let me tell you, nothing feels better than having a stick shoved up your nose as far as it will go. 
You know, it's like, how far do you stick it? How far do you stick it up there? Well, mid nose. Well, how far is that? Till it won't go any further. That's not mid nose. That's the back. That's, the back. That's all the way. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, how do you know how far mid nose? We just stick it until it stops. Well, that's not mid nose. Yes. And how <laughs> that's much all the way in. How much pressure do you apply? I'm just saying. So the one that I did, they allowed yeah. us to do it ourselves. And so, you know, you, right. you Me too. stick it all the way back there and then you twist it around five times and then you do the other nostril yeah. do the same thing. Right. I did the same thing. And, and they did say, you know, when I asked like, well, how far do I stick it in? She goes, as far as you can stand it, you know, just go until if it gets to the point where it feels like you're going to, you know, scratch your brain, stop. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, yes. but you know, as uncomfortable as that is, we have a lot of nerves up in there. Uh, you know, which are intentional. That's to protect your lungs. It wants you, it'll make you want to sneeze and, and to blow that out because it's to protect things from getting in your lungs. There's actually not a lot to be damaged there. Uh, right. You know, at least, I mean, obviously you stick a knife up in your nose or a screwdriver. Yeah, you're going to damage things, but the little swab thing isn't going to hurt you. It's just really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you. My eyes teared up a little bit because I, you know, I'm an overachiever. I stuck it as far as I could and tolerated it, even though it was really uncomfortable. Yeah, I did too. So, you know. so, you know, Joe Biden has said, so there were there, these reports that said that, you know, if we close down for a couple of months, you know, six weeks to two months, whatever, that, that we could eradicate COVID. And um, I, first of all, I don't believe that's true. I think COVID is here to stay. It, it just is. And we have yeah. so much travel of uh, people coming in and out of the country. We're not Hawaii. We can't, we can't, you know, close the airports and, and, um, and then have it be okay. People can still enter the United States. People can travel from state to state, whatever. So, um, so a member of Joe Biden's COVID advisory team um, has already stirred up con- controversy by advocating a national lockdown. Um, but after pushback from Anthony Fauci and, and Michael, Michael Osterholm is now making clear he hasn't discussed this, this with anyone in the future Biden administration. So. Um, apparently, Osterholm is the director of the University of Minnesota Center, Center for Infectious Disease Research, um, and he's been publicly warning of the late of late. Um, uh, he's been publicly warning of late about a looming winter COVID hell. It's a theme he's been pushing for a while, um, as seen in that there's an op, op-ed in the New York Times from August where he was talking about it. Um, the, he said the government should shut down businesses and pay people to stay home. Uh, we could pay for a package right now to cover all of the lost wages for individual workers, for losses to small companies, to medium-sized companies, or city, state, and county governments. If we did that, then we could lock down for four to six weeks. And if we did that, we could get the numbers down. Um, so the, the idea has been met with swift criticism. The conservative editorial page of the Wall Street Journal, for example, said it would be catastrophic. Um, targeted restrictions and hotspots can make sense. But a national lockdown is another. It is completely out of the question. Lockdowns don't crush the virus; they merely delay its spread until the lockdown ends. And in the meantime, businesses go bankrupt and the economy goes belly up. Um, and I yeah. agree with that. I do too. I think that it, it makes no sense at all for people who who live in you know um, the outskirts of the panhandle of Texas who have interactions in their town of, you know, 4,000 people with 4,000 people, and that's it, um, 
you know, and towns that have, you know, one gas station and nobody's interacting with anybody who has COVID, why on earth are they forced to shut down and lock down when, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, the biggest issue tends to be in a lot of the big cities. That's where the problem is because people live on top of each other. Yes. And so, you know, I think targeted lockdowns based on where we're seeing problems makes more sense. And I wish, wish, wish I would hear a politician say, let's put together standardized criteria for way uh, for for a physical space in terms of whether it's a high risk or a low risk. And let's then allow uh, people to make decisions about whether they want to go into high risk or low risk spaces, as opposed to just saying, we're going to pick these businesses to be successful. We're going to pick these businesses to shut down. Yep. Yep. And we've been, you've been railing about that for a while. It's like, why, why aren't there some yeah. guidelines for this? Um, and let people, and I've been saying, yeah. let people, let's, let's open up the economy because if we don't, we won't have an economy to come back to. Yep. Just, yep. Just yep. Saying. Hey, this just in. This just in quotes from Joe Biden. Joe Biden says, American, while, when, to, should, and if. I figure if we're going to pick and choose who we listen to, I can pick and choose what I want to say. I like those words. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what? I just found some quotes. I found some quotes from Joe Biden. I picked the words I like. That's the only part I want to listen to. I could do the same for Trump. I was trying to find quotes from Trump to do the same thing, but, uh, you know. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> hmm. I got to write this stuff down. I should go to an open mic night somewhere. Except, hey, there aren't any of those because everything's shut down. It's right. Because, God forbid, we laugh together. Yeah. Well, when you laugh, you know, you spray spittle out of your mouth and then it lands in the air and it floats around and goes into somebody's nose or eyes or mucous membrane and then they become sick because... Human beings spread gunk. <laughs> I mean, they do. That's it. That's why we wear masks. But, you know, don't wear the wrong kind of masks. That's the other thing that drives me nuts is like, you know, A, learn to cover your freaking face, people. And B, wear a real mask. They're not hard to find. You know, a gator or pulling your T-shirt up over your nose is not a mask. No. I mean, who wants to smell your pit stink while you've got the T-shirt up over your nose anyway? You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I am an adult and I sweat. (laughs) Now, granted, it's been chillier here, but over the summer, it was kind of gross. And I literally did see people walking around. All they did was pull their t-shirt up over their nose and walk into the grocery store. I'm like, really? That's it, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm surprised that, you know, I, I, the grocery stores uh, didn't, I've seen some restaurants do it and, uh, and um, uh, a few other places of ilk, that ilk that serve food or drink that have, you know, a table outside with hand sanitizer and a box of masks. And they say, you know, masks required. And they just got the, some of those little fan fold paper masks there. You can buy a box of 50 for 20 bucks. And they thought, you know, I'd rather somebody come in than walk up to my door and then realize they don't have their mask and turn around and leave my place of business. I want them to come in. So, you know, it's not a huge investment to put some masks out there for people. Um, And I'm just shocked that we don't have more of that. So really quickly, you know, they they have somebody standing out in front of the grocery stores cleaning the carts. He could have masks, too. Anyway, go ahead. No, I want to I want to really because we're almost we're, we're basically out of time. But I got I got to talk about this really quickly. Um, I know you love your dogs, Todd. I know that you are such a dog fan, and I, I love my critters, too. Um, Talk about bad breath. 
Yeah, right. Apparently, Turkmenistan's longtime leader, who's a little off of his, he's a little nuts, um, has unveiled a giant gilded statue of his dog on a busy traffic circle in the capital city of Ashgabat. Cool. If I have to look at some stupid public art, I'd just as soon be it of a dog. So, depicted, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, depicted standing proudly on a plinth, the gold-coated canine is a Turkmen-bred variety of, the, of a se- Central Asian shepherd dog known as an alibi. And it's a symbol of national pride in this... In it's this, beautiful. Yes. Hermit country. So... <laughs> Well, he's not yeah, a, yeah, he's a loon. But I like, uh, you know what? If you got to stick something, at least it's not a, pic, a big statue of him, right? But that's true. That somebody's going to tear down like they did uh, in um, Iraq? In, in Iran, Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I just I know that we're completely out of time, but that just made me giggle. He had he loves his dog yeah. so much. He had a gold statue commissioned and put in an intersection in the capital city. Yes, dog locally known as Alibi. <laughs> That's ironic. That's pretty funny, too. What's the name of your dog? <laughs> Alibi. That's right. <laughs> Where were you last night? I was with, al- with my alibi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, apparently the breed is known as a wolf crusher. This is a big dog. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, on that happy note, Have a great uh, that's our alibi for the last uh, <laughs> last 15 minutes. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you.